This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay Dunedin and I am joined from Fakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora Mawera. Kia ora Sam, how's it going? It's going very well indeed. How is Fakatane today? Absolutely stunning. Um, it is probably going to be far too hot this summer so I imagine spending a lot of time inside with the air conditioning on. Or going for a walk in the forest. Oh yeah, I love walking in the forest. Absolutely. All right, so that's it. Those are my two options. If you can't find me, I'm in the forest. Or on the going for a swim. Oh, no. No, no, no. Too much sun. <laughs> you can keep your swimming. <laughs> and who are we introducing today? It's my great pleasure to introduce today Craig Morley. Uh, Craig is Professor of Resource Management at Toi Ohomai. It's a real, it's a treat to have you here. Thanks for joining us today, Craig. Kura. Um yeah, thank you very much for having us. And uh, yes, it's wonderful weather up this way as well. So, Kira, uh, Craig, where are you, Craig? Uh, I'm based in Rotorua, um, right, right in the heart of um, sort of the lake areas of the North Island. And um, yeah, fantastic place to live, I must say. And Professor, Associate Professor of Resource Management, what does that mean? Um, essentially, resource management is looking at um, how do we manage our land, our air, our waterways, um, and of course, how do we do this socially, um, how do we do this environmentally, and how do we do this without um, exhausting too much uh, resources and economics and associated with that. So ecological economics is another area which I'm also teaching. Cool. How long have you been at the Polytech? Uh, just coming up to 11 years now. So I was with the Polytech, and prior to that, I was with the Department of Conservation up in Northland. And prior to that, I was in Fiji at the University of the South Pacific, um, teaching over there for eight years. So what sort of students do you have? Um, most, well, I had, and, and this is the interesting thing, I had a lot of international students. Um, we have some domestic students but not as many being a graduate diploma that I'm teaching in um, we need a slightly higher level of student if that's the way to put it and so a lot of these students that I did have uh, we no longer get thanks to COVID. So they were coming as a graduate diploma of resource management? That's correct so they were coming over here so people with an interest in conservation ecology sustainability um, people with, uh, like I say, ecological economics. Um, so yeah, a lot of them were coming over here and they were getting jobs in a number of different areas from uh, energy companies through to forestry companies, um, into landscaping. Um, yeah, the whole gamut, uh, regional councils, district councils, DOC, 
So we've been asking people how their bubble life was. And of course, now that has gotten real complicated because there's multiple bubble lives. But let's go back to the start and then we'll talk about the middle and then we'll talk about what, let's pretend it's the end. So how was your bubble life last year? Oh, I loved it. I know that's probably a contradiction for a lot of people, but um, the previous year I had 65 students and it was a real uh, challenge to teach that many students. And to go from 65, through, and we went down to four students. They were all domestics. Um, and, and now I'm currently got no students. Um, but there's a reason for that. So my bubble, look, um, and I'm working from home. And I, I, where, where I've got my office at home, it's wonderful. I look out to my left here and I see Macquarie Island, Lake Rotorua, um, fantastic views, um, best office. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm working from home, and I have similarly have the luxury of looking out onto trees and across from the trees to a golf course, and then the hills, hills further away. You do have to ask yourself why you were ever going to work. Well, it was a twenty-five to thirty-minute drive one way going into town, so I did ask myself. And I mean, from a sustainability perspective, um, driving into work, you know, you had to question that. Uh, even though I do have an electric car, um, yeah, staying at home, you know, that hour each day, I'm able to be so much more productive. And that's the other reason why I've enjoyed COVID is that um, I have been a lot more productive and, and been able to do a lot of work. Um, and trust me, I have been really, really working hard. <laughs> so you've managed to you've managed to get no students now. I, I presume that they'll come back when the, the border does open so what are you doing in the meantime well that's the interesting thing we've actually cancelled our course that we were teaching and we are now in the throes of developing a new postgraduate master's program um so we're doing that in applied science and ironically enough we're actually i think using otago Polytech's uh, master's of applied science um that uh, we were doing this through all the itps in new zealand so there's 16 itps plus the itas collectively there's about 200,000 students so it's, it's up the game and we're going to be looking at developing um this course for domestic students and future internationals once those borders open up and that's a, so there's a, a lot of work in that development yeah so they'll be doing they'll be doing research and, and i suppose it's Across the whole range of resource management? Yes. So, um, so you know, looking at starting off with people, social issues, Mataranga Māori, uh, looking at iwi issues. Um, we're also looking at um, ecological monitoring, biosecurity, pest management, uh, which is where my background mainly is in. Um, yeah, there's, there's about... 10 or 12 different papers we're looking at, GIS, remote sensing, uh, looking at a contemporary issues paper. So something like this, when COVID comes up, how does that affect or alter our planet? So some really interesting things ahead. How did you get into that field? Um, but, well, I was actually in Europe. Um, my background was as my father's an accountant and I was training to be an accountant. I went across to Europe, uh, to the UK, um, I ended up traveling. I traveled through Africa. It took me about six months and I just fell in love with zoology, wildlife, habitats, came back, worked at London Zoo for about a year as a volunteer um, and then just started doing trips to wildlife 
parks and and that i came back and told my father that i was going to start university i was 28 years old at that stage um and he just fell off the chair laughing at me he said there's no money in it he might be right um <laughs> but at the same token i've had a really good life and um i've got to go to places travel to places see things that you wouldn't ordinarily see especially sitting inside an office adding up numbers <laughs> crazy i don't know how anyone does that it is it is nice to have a job which means you can get outside but you don't have to go outside if it's not very pleasant that's correct i'll i'll take that one so that's how i got into this um and um like i say i, I started off and I did a double major in zoology and physical geography. Did really well. I was surprised myself. I wasn't the best student at school. I think I used to go there to just eat my lunch. Um, and um, just loved it. And, you know, it's, it's just grown from there. That passion's just grown from there. And what, how did you get from, you said you were working for Doc and then in Fiji. How did you end up teaching? What's, what's, the, what's the driver there? Um, well... I was lucky in that when I was at London Zoo, I had a good experience with um, a guy who was a Scotsman, Doug, and um, he was doing some studies at the time. And um, I kind of got into working with him and, and, and actually helping him with his studies. And um, that sort of got me thinking, well, look, I could do some studies as well. Um, I was the first person in our family to go to university. Um, so, like I say, I came back after spending what, three months in India, just going around all the wildlife parks, um, back to New Zealand, and um, you know, and that's 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 how I got into teaching. I thought, well, I'm actually quite good at it, <laughs> <laughs> and the students like me, so that's even a bonus. <laughs> let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have "Rise Against Hero of War." Why this one? Um, the first time I heard it, it just sort of struck a chord. In fact, both the songs that I've got there are both sort of anti-war songs, if that's a way to put it. Um, it really struck a chord, and I started to think about why are we doing this to ourselves and to our planet? And that's why I, I, I sort of chose the song. He said, son, have you seen the world? Well, what would you say if I said that you could just carry this gun? You'll even get paid. I said that sounds pretty good. Black leather boots, spit shine so bright. They cut off my hair, but it looks all. March down we sang We all became friends As we learned how to fight A hero of war Yeah, that's what I'll be And when I come home They'll be damn proud of me I'll carry this flag To the grave if I must Cause it's a flag that I love And a flag that I trust I kicked in the door I yelled my commands 
The children they cried, but I got my man. We took him away, a bag over his face from his family and his friends. They took off his clothes, they pissed in his hands. I told them to stop. But then I joined in. We beat him with guns and batons, not just once, but again and again. A hero of war, yeah, that's what I'll be. And when I come home, they'll be damn proud of me. I'll carry. Devoted the best part of my adult life to pest management as well, and ended up doing my master's through Otago Polytech, a master of professional practice in uh, pest management. Um, yes. uh, but mine was um, a study on marsupial species in the Eastern Bay, so in particular our little Dharma wallabies. And, uh, and then, of course, and I've made a, a good living over the years uh, selling peacock feathers and turkey feathers and, um, and eating and giving away a lot of meat. <laughs> so we are so lucky here in the Eastern Bay, aren't we, or in the Bay. Well, it's called it's the Bay of Plenty for a reason. It is. <laughs> Do you, one of the, I sit on a board at the moment, and um, one of the things that this particular board, um, there are quite a few people on the board who only see pests is a thing that needs to be poisoned and destroyed, whereas my, um, I guess the reason I'll be brought onto the board is to change that perception from pest to a protein. And um, is, have you done sort of much around that, around the, the food side of pest management? Um, I haven't done it, but I, I, I did get in trouble here at the, the local council where I 
where, where they were starting to talk about waste management and I kept on saying it was resource management. Um, and that's a similar sort of ilk where you've got wallabies and you've got possums and, and yes, they can be utilised as a resource. The only issue is um, that I've en encountered is that when people go and hunt animals for a resource, if they're a pest, they only take the easy ones. They don't go in and get the really hard um, areas. And that, that actually brought me on to my, my new research areas, which I'll tell you about that later. Oh, I'd love to hear about that. And um, and I agree, and that's why um, I think my approach has changed over the years. I used to be really anti any poison, but now I see it as a tool for the toolbox. Humans are a tool for the toolbox. All of everything that we use is, if we use it in the right way, is, is just a tool and it all is um, helping to restore the nahiri, which is what it's all about, isn't it? Completely agree, and so I mean, I've 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 been speaking with a lot of people about um, wallabies in our region. I don't know whether you know Dale Williams and Ron Kaiser from the regional council. Yep, I do. And um, well, Ron's about to leave. Um, he, he's going to retire and go fishing. That's what he's telling me anyway. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, so they're advertising or, or inter interviewing new people for that position shortly. Um, but that. The new technology that we're looking at uh, implementing hopefully will also target wallabies as well. Um, so yes, that'll be fantastic. And um, I, I like any, I love that we're living in this in this technology time. Um, interesting. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day about uh, possums and the introduction of them to Aotearoa, uh, and said to them that it took five attempts to get possums to actually settle here. That's right. Uh, five times we could have said, oh, actually, that's a bad idea, but we just kept persevering. They were, they were determined. Climatisation Society were determined we were having them. And it was uh, when we got fruit trees established, then the possums established. Yeah. Well, we've had, what, 37,000 different species introduced to New Zealand um, over, over time. Fortunately, 95% of those introductions have failed. Um, but um, it, it has been interesting what people have tried to introduce and the number of times they have tried to reintroduce things. Uh, you know, th what, what astounds me is like um, Tufari Atoa, for example, trout, you know, are an honorary conservation species and yet they're one of the worst predators in our freshwater ecosystems. It's but you, 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 it try, you try to tell that to a recreational fisherman yeah. <laughs> or fishing game. Yes, I'm, I'm often scorned for referring them, uh, referring to them as a pest species, but that technically that's what they are. Yeah, Tifari Tara call them uh, the possums of the waterways. <laughs> so what research are you doing now, Craig? So my research at the moment is I'm, I'm looking at whether we can use um, unmanned aerial vehicles um, to deploy toxins um, in specific places. Um, so with precision accuracy, and when I say precision accuracy, I mean, yes, we can fly to a place precisely, but we want to make sure that it's put on the ground in a precisely the right location where it should be put. And what we're, and we're delivering these um, in what we call something called a bait pod, which is a basically a cluster of um, 1080 in a, in a little ball, if you like. And um, we're looking at reducing the amount of 1080 that is put across our whenua our land. Um, so we just did some trials in Rotoehu Forest um, over a 30 hectare area 
which was very successful. We've done a, a couple of other trials on an island um, up near Auckland on Bethel's, Bethel's Beach. And we've also done another trial near Lake Akerika. Um, and the whole idea about this is to be able to target the pests or the predators in locations that are too expensive to do so by standard helicopter operations or too difficult to get into um, access by foot or it's too dangerous or it's just not economic enough. So a drone, and when I say a drone, the aircraft we're talking about is a heavy lifter. Um, it can carry up to 40 kgs. Um, it's petrol powered rather than battery powered, so it can fly in the air for about an hour. Um, and it's it's very targeted, and that's the whole idea. Is so the our new research thought is how do we identify where the pests are, rather than carpet bombing the whole forest, which is what we're currently doing with 1080. Can we place baits where the predators are? And so there's a whole other range of research and skills involved in that, and that's what we're currently looking at I'm just currently writing a smart ideas application try and get some money and funding for that that sounds awesome well it's about not using it's about say trying to save money it's about trying to be targeted it's about not putting bait out all over the place um, by being precision we're not dropping baits in waterways or Urupa or Waitapu areas on on farmers properties um, our accuracy in open areas, we can hit our target to within 80 centimetres. And this is from 100 metres above the ground. Um, and in forested areas, um, it's about 2.3 metres, which is pretty damn accurate, really, because there's a lot of variation when these pods fall through the forest canopy. They can hit a tree branch and deflect. Um, but we're still able to um, get our baits on average, about 2.3 metres away from our intended target area. And and that takes a lot of skill and really good piloting. <laughs> Do you have to have the, because unmanned um, vehicles, you have to have them in sight, don't you? Or yes, have you got some workaround for that? No, no, we we currently working, it's, it's called Beaver Loss, um, Beyond Visual Line of Sight. Um, so we, we can currently do that with, this, with the drones that we've got. We do have a series of drones, actually. So in some areas where it's a bit riskier, we'll send in a smaller drone. Um, for the big one, um, we don't risk that one so much. It's quite expensive. This is a, a Yamaha um, Phaser. There's only three of them in the world. Um, and it's currently in Norfolk Island at the moment. The pilot's over there controlling Argentine ants. Um, we we are one of the things we're putting in this funding application for is to try and do some trials to go beyond visual line of sight in answer to your question. We've got a place on Great Barrier Island uh, as a training site that the CAA have given us permission to train and learn up and get skilled and experienced in flying this. Now, I'm not actually the pilot. I'm the researcher. Uh, we use an experienced um, pilot from Yamaha do this work that's cool and so what what's left to find out before it can be put into proper use and scaled up well i mean we can do what we need to do right now we, we can fly to a particular point a gps point we can deploy a bait pod 
um, we've gone in and we've done the ground truthing and measured it on the ground how accurate we have been. Um, so we can do that right now. The real research advantage would be to actually be able to be more targeted with our deployment. And so that's where the research questions is, can we find a way, work out where the predators are? So some of our thinking is, is around, um, can we identify particular vegetation? Can we speak to the local people, find out whether where they think these predators are? So we'll be using a range of uh, remote sensing tools, uh, local uh, people's knowledge, and of course, um, our own skills as well to try and make that more targeted. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nga mahi arohanui, kia koutou, kotahuaho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, the triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. I know that for all of us the last nearly two years have been very stressful. We've had to completely reevaluate many areas of our life that we took for granted. And in the very immediate realm, so much has changed. In the local realm, in the national realm. And of course, on a global scale. And for us as a species, having co-evolved with all life in an infinite web, having been quite newly arrived, in evolutionary terms, being the porter, keeping the children on this earth, we are still learning so much about how to be, do, see, feel together in the best way, so we do the least harm, so we can do the most good. And for many of us, seeing what is happening around the world seeing what is happening now in Aotearoa, New Zealand, seeing what is happening across the street and within our own households. We want to make things better immediately. And this can be very tricky when other people and their free will are involved. Of course, we must do our best to support and encourage those that we love help them to feel safe, help them to feel understood, help them to feel accepted. And we must give the same compassion and understanding to ourselves. Something of course, which can be helpful in a time when we feel impatient for change or we feel powerless, is to remember that at all times, everything is shifting and changing even if it is below the surface, like the fungi in the forest, the microbial networks working away, constantly growing and growing, connecting all the plants, helping the plants to feed each other, helping the plants to communicate. All of this growth and action and change is happening beneath the surface that we cannot see. 
And this is true for all of us. Whilst on many levels consciously we may feel that things are moving more slowly than we would like, on a subconscious and unconscious level, there are great tectonic movements taking place. So I really hope for you, at this tricky time, you're able to find ways to enjoy taking a step back, taking a deep breath, keeping your big picture in mind and feeling comforted by the fact that there's so much love, there's so much support, there's so much wisdom that surrounds us, that is holding us and guiding us and that things are progressing in the best way. It's also again an opportunity to go within and to revisit ourselves when the external universe may seem to be moving in a way that we cannot directly influence. The internal universe is always there for us. And of course every time we go within and we reconnect with ourselves we see a new petal has opened. We are blossoming more and more each day with this new learning and knowledge that we are acquiring in this situation. And when we go within, of course, we meet new parts of ourselves that have never had to come forward before. What a beautiful surprise that we have all these skills. What a beautiful surprise that these moments in our past would come now to help us. We can remember them and the wisdom they hold. So I hope that you for today you can have these wonderful recognitions and realizations. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kokite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Craig Morley. Craig, if you have to put a a number out of a hundred on how well we're doing across the country in terms of resource management, where are we? Thirty or forty. I'm sorry to say. I mean, actually, there's been a really good expose just recently on stuff um, on how badly we are actually doing. And, yeah, there's a lot of, I hate to say it, but a lot of accuracies in there. And it's a, yeah, it's not very good for our environment. I, I would, I'd like to say that New Zealand has this clean, green, 100% pure image, which is marketing. But the honesty, uh, it's not. I mean, 43% of our rivers, we can't even swim in properly. Got lots of nitrate problems. 95% of our wetlands have been trashed or disappeared. It's, it's, we're in dire straits. You know, with over 4,000 species um, that are currently under threat, um, it's, it's, not, it's not good. So, you know, 30 to 40 percent, and that's actually being quite optimistic, I'm sorry to say. What would have to change to get that to considerably improve? And I'm thinking of things like, well, maybe there's the question, are there systemic things that we could change that would kickstart some kind of change in that? Or is it about having to work on the ground on every one of those issues? Well, I think one of the first things to change is our economic model, where um, if, we, if we look at our economic system, everything's got a dollar value associated with it. But in, in terms of nature, not everything does have a dollar value in it. Um, you know, our water, our air, our land, our soils. Um, so to me, 
we've got things around the wrong way, fundamentally the wrong way. The macro, traditional macroeconomic model is, is where it tags on the environment, where it tags on the social and cultural things is wrong. I mean, economics is actually a subset of our planet, um, not the other way around. And yet the way we're taught, the way we're thinking, the way our government responds, the way it acts, um, it doesn't think that way. It's all backwards. And so I think we need to really fundamentally change our economic model, the way we view things. I mean, we've just had COP26 um, with a lot of people very critical about what the politicians were saying and whether they actually have the means and the wherewithal to actually change things. But there's some pretty strong vested interests in not changing stuff. There's people there making are. money out of, out of doing what we're doing now. That business as usual model, you know, I mean, that's partially the reason we've got into the point we've got to. I mean, it's interesting. We, we've talked with COVID about flattening the curve. Well, the same thing happens with sustainability. Yeah, we, we, we've, we've got to change that whole perception and that model. Um, and one of the things we have learned from COVID is that, you know, the planet did start to improve. Our waterways did start to get better. So it's, it's how we balance, and that's the key word, balance. Nobody's talking about going back to the caveman days. Um, it's about how we actually value our resources in terms of our land, our water, our air. And when I say value, I'm not talking a monetary value, but from a well-being perspective, from a health perspective, from an education perspective, um, you know, I think we just need to change that mindset. And it's going to be a really, really difficult pill to swallow for a lot of our politicians and economists. One of the things that COVID has shown us is that when this government introduced well-being, whatever it was, four or five years ago now, it got a bit of media attention at the time, but pretty soon it was, yeah, but show us where the money is. And that COVID has shown that this well-being thing has got legs. Now, in this case, it's more about human well-being, but it's also it's also shown how connected those sorts of systems are, particularly if we think of the, the virus as being part of the natural system. It shows that that connection do you think we're going to make that leap a to well-being and then b to the connection between human well-being and the socio-ecological systems as much as i'd like to say yes i think the answer is no um, oh. i think i think fundamentally unless we change the way we do business how we do business and how we value resources um, we are in dire straits. I mean, we are digging up our planet for all sorts of minerals. I mean, the strangest thing for me is we spend millions and millions of dollars d digging up gold. Once we've got that gold, what do we do with it? Well, we put it into a gold bar and we put it back into the ground called a vault. One has to question the craziness of that whole exercise and the cost and the damage that it does. Um, for some imaginable wealth. You can't eat gold. You can't really use it for a lot of things. Yes, it's used for some industrial purposes, but very few. Um, people may like it for jewellery, but that only represents less than 1% of, of what gold's actually used for. I mean, <laughs> I don't understand it. It's 
we do this with diamonds. We do this with lots of other minerals, opals. Oh, yeah, the, the list goes on. It'd be good if we could wave a magic wand and have people use as a currency biodiversity. Well, there is a lot of intrinsic value with that. You know, I mean, the air that we breathe, having fresh water that we can drink. I mean, you know, there's. But the trouble is, it's we've never really valued that until we pollute it or, or, or it disappears. And that's the same with like, even with our biodiversity, our animal species. Um, we, we often take a lot of things for granted. And that's always been part of the human ethos, I'm afraid. Um, competition drives people's behaviour, fear, uh, greed. Yeah. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have a Dropkick Murphys. That is the coolest band name ever, I think. Oh, I love the Dropkicks. <laughs> <laughs> and the Greenfields. Why this one? Again, and this is a song that was written by an Australian, actually. Um, now, he was visiting Europe, and he came across the war graves of the First World War. And essentially, this, the song is about a, a young lad who died um, during the First World War. And the moral of the story is, you know, do we even know why we were fighting? And they said this was the war that would end all wars. Well, the thing is, is we've had so many wars since. We're not learning. We never will. I mean, that's the same sort of story I hate to tell you with our environmental issues. To me, there are parallels. Oh, how do you do, young Willie McBride? Do you mind if I sit here down by your graveside And rest for a while in the warm summer sun I've been walking all day and I'm nearly done And I see by your gravestone you were only 19 When you joined the great fallen in 1916 Well I hope you died quick and I hope you died clean Oh, Willie McBride, was it slow and obscene? Did they beat the drum slowly? Did they play the fight lowly? Did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? Did the band play the last post and chorus? Did the pipes play the flowers of the fall? And did you leave a wife for a sweetheart behind? In some loyal heart is your memory enshrined And though you died back in 1916 To that loyal heart you're forever 19 Or are you a stranger without even a name? Forever enshrined behind some old glass pane in an old photograph torn, tattered and stained And faded to yellow in a brown leather frame Did they beat the drum slowly? Did they play the fife lowly? Did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? Did the band play the last post and chorus? Did the pipes Play the flowers of the forest 
sun shining down on these green fields of France. The warm wind blows gently and the red poppies dance. The trenches have vanished long under the plow. No gas, no barbed wire, no guns firing now. But here in this graveyard that's still no man's land, the countless white crosses in mute witness stand. To man's blind indifference to his fellow man, and a whole generation were butchered and damned. Did they beat the drum slowly? Did they play the pipe lowly? Did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? Did the band play the last post and chorus? Did the pipes play the flowers of the fall? And I can't help but wonder, no Willie McBride, to all those who lie here, know why they died. Did you really believe them when they told you the cause? Did you really believe that this war would end wars? Well, the suffering, the sorrow, the glory, the shame, the killing and dying—it was all done in vain. Oh, Willie McBride, it all happened again and again and again and again and again. Did they beat the drum slowly? Did they play the fife lowly? Did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? Did the band play the last post and chorus? Did the pipes? Play the flowers of the forest. So, Craig, we do want to learn, if we can, from COVID. It's given us a bit of an opportunity for a global disruption. Do you think that there are any lessons of things we can take from the the pandemic and how we've responded to it for those bigger sorts of questions? And I'm thinking of things like climate change, biodiversity collapse or, or social justice. Um, look, COVID's been interesting or, or, or actually COVID's not been interesting. It's how we've managed COVID that's been interesting. Um, we've had disease pandemics throughout history, um, Spanish flu, you know, Black Plague, all those sort of things. So we've had all these things, and, and viruses are part of an intrinsic part of our life. In fact, they're, to me, they're an amazing organism, and one has to only admire them, even though they can be quite destructive on our species, um, for their tenacity and their ability to actually um, replicate and, and to evolve and to change and mutate. Now, in terms of what we can learn, well, we also should be evolving, mutating, and adapting. Um, but I'm afraid when I look at our politicians and when I look at how we've handled and managed COVID, I don't think we have evolved. I don't think we have adapted properly. Um, we haven't taken the lessons from the past and learnt from them, not to the full extent that we could have. I mean, 100 years ago, 50 million people died. What have we really learned from that? to shut down a country, to lock it down. 
Um, I don't know. That that's 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 a tricky one. And I mean, look, I'm glad I'm not a politician to have to make those decisions. I must say that. But I'd probably be a bit more brutal um, as a scientist. Um, and one could also argue, and, and I'm going to get myself into a lot of trouble for saying this. We've got a lot of people on this planet. And associated with that, we have a lot of problems resource management-wise. And look, I've just put my foot in it. Someone, <laughs> but uh, that the virus is, is also telling us something as well, as as a planet, as a people. You know, systematically or systemically, there is something wrong. It's one of those things where it's the the, the symptom rather than the cause. That kind of thing, isn't it? It's is, is an indicative of a, of, a, of a system that's generally broken. But we've talked about lots of problems, and the theme of this show is positive but not deluded. So let's aim for something positive. Can you what 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 lights you up? What are you, what are you seeing that's that's good that's working? Um, people rallying around and actually supporting each other. I think, you know, I mean, one thing about COVID, it has actually brought a lot of groups of people that probably wouldn't have had those associations or those groupings or those discussions together. Um, and that, and then we can have conversations. I think in the past we were so siloed in many of our ways and our thinking that we probably didn't have those conversations. We weren't talking to each other. We weren't asking each other, how are we? What is actually wrong? And then collectively getting together to try and resolve it. Um, sometimes there was a few champions who would try and take on the world and try and solve all the world's problems, but they were just being browbeaten. I think COVID, one good thing is that, you know, this has united people in their thinking, a way to overcome problems, being critical thinkers, problem solvers. So, yeah, there are good outcomes. And it's shown that we can do stuff if we really want to. If we put our minds to it, and, and look, that's the other really good thing about human activity is, is, is in that, in creativity and innovation. Look, we can we can bring people together. Um, we can actually do a lot of these problems, solve a lot of these issues, where there's a political will and a mindset to do so, where economics doesn't always get in the way. <laughs> it's um, my... My stepfather was involved in the Million Dollar Mouse on the sub-Antarctic islands. It, the, the cost of the last mouse is is large, and that seems like such a huge number, but then you think of how much has been spent on, on the COVID response. Yes. Well, well, maybe if it matters, we can do this thing. I have some questions to end the show with, and not very much time, so we shall have to rattle through them. Craig, what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, my drone project, actually getting it up and on the ground. It's taken three, four years um, to talk to people to get the idea behind us. Now we've actually physically done the trials, proven it's worked. So that's been biggest challenge, and that's taken up a lot of my time. But equally, teaching, you know, I really enjoyed that. And you will again when you get some students when the students are allowed back and you've got them enrolled in that master's. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Tenacity. Um, look, people will knock you down all the time, but you pick yourself up. You just 
bloody well go for it. Um, you know, don't 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 let people knock you. Persevere, get there. Um, sometimes don't even listen to what other people say. Just prove them wrong or just do it. JFDI is what I always say, and I won't tell you what the F stands for. <laughs> so, do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, yes and no. I, I'm I'm not a um, political stalled activist, but I'm an education activist. Um, for me, making sure people have the right information, they have the right tools at their fingertips, um, is, is critical. And for them to make the right choices, um, you know, someone once told me it's not the person who doesn't know anything that's the problem. It's not the person who actually knows the facts that's the problem. It's the person who only has half the information who are the most dangerous. And so we need to make sure that uh, those people who um, need to have that information should be given that information to make good decisions and choices. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I, I get up in the morning, every morning, and I have a spa at 5.30 in the morning and I look across the lake um, <laughs> and I look there and the vista is different every day. You see steam vents coming up from across the lake. You see cloud formations. You see, um, but what actually gets me up is um, a challenge. Put a challenge in front of me and I'll, I'll, I'll take it on. And in fact, um, that's probably also my downfall as well because I probably try and take on too much. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or two? Well, we've got a meeting next week. We've got a stream that flows um, through some quite polluted areas and it flows into the lake, the Pururinga stream. And so we're working with Iwi um, on how do we fix the stream before it enters the lake. Um, And there's a lot of vested people interested in this and, and there's a lot of history and a lot of stories so that's the, the newest challenge that I have in front of me. And, and to me, that's a really good story on, on many different levels with people and with um, protecting our waterways. I mean, Lake Rotorua, it used to be a bit of a joke many years ago. You know, New Zealand's largest um, toilet, you know, it was heavily polluted. Algal blooms all over the place. Now, you know, they've spent millions of dollars, but it's, it's cleaning it up. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, don't listen to people. Make your own opinions. Find out the facts. Read read about things. Look things up. Um, you know, if someone's going to tell you no, try and figure out why they may have said that and then how you can do something about it. But challenge the people, you know, including your managers. <laughs> <laughs> my managers love my challenging I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you for that. Mawira. Craig, there's a saying that goes that we don't solve any problems with the same thinking we use to create them. And I admire your innovative thinking, imagination, and also your commitment to teaching. And when I put those two together, I can see a new generation of learners finishing their studies um, with that same sort of innovative thinking and that's where the solutions lie so keep up the good work because what you're doing matters so much and and that's where the change is so thank you thanks for sharing with us today kia ora thank you very much and look it's been uh, a lot of fun and um, it will continue to be a lot of fun and that's the other thing passion you know 
And, th- and this discipline is not just about the hard mahi, it's actually about the passion and working with people. been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Coldplay's Paradise.
I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Whakatani, and from Rotorua, we've been joined by Craig Morley. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.